The media are over the moon about a new poll from Pew Research Center. The new poll surveyed some 40,000 people across 37 countries, and it turns out foreigners don't like President Trump as much as they liked President Obama. Shocker. While 64% of such foreigners had confidence in President Obama at the end of his term, just 22% had confidence in Trump. Favorability toward the United States dropped from 64% to 49% as well. Confidence in President Trump to do the right thing versus Obama dropped in every single country except for two. Israel, where President Obama was widely and correctly perceived to be anti-Israel, pro-Iran, pro-Palestinian, 49% of Israelis trusted Obama to do the right thing versus 56% for Trump, and Russia, where Trump's consistently sycophantic rhetoric toward the Russian government did not go unnoticed. 11% trusted Obama versus 53% for Trump. The countries that saw the biggest drops are generally sophisticated democratic socialist countries like Sweden, 83% drop. The Netherlands, 75% drop. And Germany, 75% drop. The different views of Obama and Trump on the world stage reflect a basic truth. Foreigners prefer a reticent America. First, it is unfair to Trump to pretend that his unpopularity globally is some sort of Republican outlier. By the time George W. Bush left office, his ratings were almost identical to Trump's in the UK, France, Germany, and Spain. That's not a shock. The world loves an America that pays their bills without attempting to promote any of our interests. In fact, the Pew poll also shows that Trump is more unpopular than Vladimir Putin, a murderous thug dictator who has invaded foreign countries with regularity. Foreigners prefer an American policy that favors Iran nuclear weapon development, 49% versus 34%. More Muslim immigration, 62% to 32%. Support for climate change strictures, 71% to 19%. And lack of a border wall, 76% to 16%. They see Trump as arrogant, 75% in intolerant, 65% and dangerous, 62%, but 55% also see Trump as a strong leader. Again, not a shock. 46% of foreigners dislike American ideas about democracy against just 43% who approve, which is weird since we actually promoted democracy across the world. 54% complain about American ideas and customs spreading here. Again, weird since they watch all of our movies and consume all of our product. And herein lies the truth about Trump. All of the foibles to which commentators are apt to attribute his unpopularity with foreigners are mere cover for the real issue, that Trump is not a left-winger who wants to minimize American power on the world stage while turning over our moral leadership to the UN. All of which suggests that Trump is right. America first policymaking, which is a radical shift away from the multipolarity sought by the Obama administration, is what is truly annoying people around the globe. Which is good if the alternative is the moral cowardice of the Obama administration for the last eight years. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So, dude, CNN is having a rough week, and we're going to get into it. Plus, we're going to break down Trump Care. We're going to talk about what exactly the, the Congressional Budget Office had to say about it yesterday. Plus, we're going to deconstruct the culture. So, jam-packed show coming up for you. Before we do that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Bull and Branch. So, as I frequently say on the program, I am not good at sleeping. I'm good at many things. Sleeping is not one of them. I tend to sleep lightly. I don't tend to sleep well. And that's why I really need great sheets. And that is where Bull and Branch comes in. B-O-L-L and Branch. So Bull and Branch is the best sheets I've ever slept on, bar none. Uh, I've gone out and bought several sheets for myself, you know, just because they're so good. I can't sleep on other sheets now. We literally threw out our, our other sheets because Bull and Branch are so comfortable. Bull and Branch sheets are super comfortable. They breathe. You, like, you don't know what it's like to sleep on a really nice sheet until you do. And Bull and Branch does that. They sell exclusively online, so you're not paying expensive retail markup. Half the price, twice the quality. They are crafted from 100% organic cotton. They also look terrific. This is why they have thousands of five-star reviews. If you go to bullandbranch.com today, you get $50 off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping when you use that promo code Ben. So you go to Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Use the promo code Ben. Again, that's Bull and Branch.com, promo code Ben. It's not just that they are soft as sheets. They are breathable. They keep you cool at night, but warm enough. I mean, they're just, they're fantastic. I, I can't speak highly enough of these sheets. They're really fantastic. Bullandbranch.com today. $50 off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping when you use the promo code Ben. Plus use that promo code Ben so that they know that we sent you as they are advertisers on the program. Okay, so... We begin with what is hilarious video. James O'Keefe, who is constantly ripped by the news media because they don't like that he goes undercover to do his journalism. He was originally responsible for breaking ACORN, the the community organizing organization responsible for pushing left-wing agenda. James O'Keefe has now dropped a video of CNN senior producer John Bonifield 
Uh, John Bonifield, I guess he's a senior health producer or something, but he's a senior producer talking candidly about CNN's treatment of the Trump administration generally and Trump-Russia collusion allegations specifically. And it's just spectacular stuff. Here's from James O'Keefe's Project Veritas, CNN producer John Bonifield, basically acknowledging and agreeing that all of our preconceptions about CNN's bias and their agenda are exactly right. So you believe like the Russia thing's a little crazy, right? Even if Russia was trying to swing an election, I, we try to swing their elections. We're in our CIA and doing it all the time. Like we're out there trying to manipulate governments. Like you win because you know the you you, you know the game and you play it right. She didn't play it right. Then why CNN constantly like Russia this, Russia that? Because it's ratings. Because it's ratings. Our ratings are incredible right now. But honestly, you you think the whole Russia. It's just like bullshit. Could be bullshit. I mean, we, it's mostly bullshit right now. Like, we don't have any big giant proof. I just feel like they don't really have it, but they they want to keep digging. Mm -hmm. And so I think the president is probably right to say, like, look, you are witch hunting me. Like, you have no smoking gun. You have no real proof. And the CEO of CNN said in our internal meeting, he said, good job, everybody, covering the climate accords. But we're done with it. Let's get back to Russia. <laughs> okay, so he's saying a bunch of things here that we already knew. Number one, CNN is focusing on Russia for the ratings, which is obvious. I mean, they focused on Malaysian flight MH370 for like three years and had Don Lemon talking about black holes opening up in the sky to eat flights. Because <laughs> Don Lemon doesn't know anything. So it's it's not a shock that they've been focusing on Russia. And this is true, right? If you, it doesn't matter what's going on in the news. If you turn over to CNN, what you get is Trump-Russia. And the reason is because CNN has pr been providing wish fulfillment for the far left for months now. The wish fulfillment is that Trump is going to get caught colluding with Russia. He'll somehow be ousted. As Sally Cohn says, we'll have a special election, then Hillary Clinton will be president. Okay, that's what CNN has been doing for literally months. This has been their agenda. It has raised their ratings. When there actually is news to break, then CNN's ratings are good. When there's no, no news to break and they're just spouting about Russia still, then there's not, like tonight, I think, CNN is supposed to be running a special about Trump, Russia, the big story. And it, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And Bonnefeld is, is honest enough to admit that, although he probably wouldn't have admitted it if he knew he was on tape. When he says that, that Jeff Zucker, uh, the head of CNN, told all the producers that when they were covering the Paris Climate Accords and Trump's pullout from them, they should get back to talking Russia because he wants the ratings. Again, this is just confirmation of what we already knew. Bonnefeld also said that if CNN had treated Obama like this, it wouldn't have gone over well at all because obviously their fans tend to like Obama, whereas they hate Trump. And so they have been wildly dishonest in how they've covered Trump. It's all true, okay? Everything that Bonifield is saying is true, and all of it confirms what we already knew about CNN, which is that they are biasing their journalism in order to target President Trump, and he is right that they are on a, President Trump is right that they are on a witch hunt. Now, that wasn't the only bad story for CNN last night. So CNN also fired three journalists responsible for a single-sourced anonymous story uh, that they broke at CNN.com. They were accusing Trump associate Anthony Scaramucci of being investigated by the Senate Intelligence Committee for contact with a Russian bank uh, a few days before the inauguration. CNN ended up retracting the story and firing the three journalists responsible for the story. Naturally, as my friend John Nolte points out, CNN also added that it's possible, quote, the facts of the story weren't necessarily wrong. So this is the Dan Rather approach. We're going to retract the story. We're going to fire the guy responsible. But it's possible that the facts were still correct. Okay, again just the evidence of CNN's bias. So this, of course, sets off President Trump, and President Trump promptly tweets, quote, fake, C fake news CNN is looking at big management changes now that they got caught falsely pushing their phony Russian stories. Ratings way down. Well, the first half is true. The second half is not. The ratings are not way down. The ratings are actually way up because of all the conspiratorial bullcrap. It would be better if the ratings were down because of all the conspiratorial bullcrap, but they aren't. And then he says, wow, CNN had to retract big story on Russia with three employees forced to resign. What about all the other phony stories they do? Fake news. Again, totally fair. And then he said, you know, fake news, this, fake news, that, fake news. What about the Washington Post and the New York Times and ABC and NBC and CBS, right? So all of this, there is truth to this, obviously. CNN it has biases. They refuse to acknowledge their biases. It's one of the more annoying things about CNN. If they just said, listen, we're a left-wing outlet like MSNBC, like no one cares that MSNBC covers Russia incessantly because MSNBC is openly to the left. 
I mean, they're leaning forward, right? CNN pretends it's objective, which is why CNN is the easiest whipping boy in the media business. And I will say that CNN did more than, for example, the Trump administration has done when people in the administration have lied. They actually fired people forthwith. When this story came out, they fired three reporters. Now, does this mean that they're suddenly great at their jobs? No, but that's at least a form of accountability. Naturally, Fox News jumped on this as well, jumped on all of this. Tucker Carlson ripped CNN to their propaganda organization. Again, this is mostly right. It's been seven months, though, since Trump won the presidential election. Since then, precisely no evidence has emerged to support the claim that Trump somehow colluded with the Russian government in order to win the race. But you'd never know that from watching that channel, which has become home for conspiracists on the Russia question worldwide. Last February, to name yet another example, CNN produced a story accusing Trump associates of repeated contacts with Russian intelligence. That report turned out to be almost identical to a report by The New York Times that Jim Comey called out specifically for being grossly inaccurate. We could go on and on and on. Overall, 93% of CNN's coverage of the Trump administration has been negative. Okay, everything Tucker is saying here is true, that CNN is an anti-Trump machine, no question about it. And then Sean Hannity goes on TV last night and he calls for Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN, to be fired. He says, hey, CNN, when will you fire Zucker? He has destroyed the network with lies and very fake news, very fake news. Now, again, I think that Sean calling for Zucker to be fired over the coverage at CNN is a mistake for Sean. I mean, I defended Sean over the Seth Rich stuff, not because I thought he was right on it, but because I don't like these kind of astroturfed boycotts where people end up losing their jobs because they don't like the way that somebody is covering the news. And here is Sean calling for Jeff Zucker to be fired over his coverage of the news. Again, I, I just the hypocrisy is a little much for me. Um, but uh, is all this criticism of CNN fair? Absolutely, it's fair. But I do want to discuss whether the, the term fake news is useful or not anymore, because I'm not sure that it is useful. So when fake news was originally coined, the term fake news was originally coined, what it meant was a story that was outright false. So, for example, that piece that CNN retracted, that was actual fake news, right? That was a piece of fake news. CNN's Russia collusion stuff, when they actually try to aver that there is collusion or evidence thereof, that is fake news. It is not fake news when they report a specific story about a Trump associate who had a contact with Russians and then it's verified. Right? It's not a fake story when CNN reports about what Trump said to Sergei Kislyak in the Oval Office. Right? That is not fake news. So we have to distinguish two types of news that people don't like. One type of news is news that is just the facts are wrong, right? That's actual fake news. We don't like those stories. Those, those are real fake news. And then there are stories where we don't like the angle the news is taking. We don't like the bias that's being infused into the news. And this is where I find trouble because, you know, President Trump, he's out there saying all these networks are, quote unquote, fake news, fake news. If you conflate these two categories, you make it so that it is impossible to have a common basis of fact for any sort of political conversation. So when he says CNN is fake news... I don't think that's right. I don't. I think that CNN is a wildly left news outlet that biases their coverage in tremendous ways. I don't think that's quote unquote fake news. You can say it's fake objective news, right? That's true. You can say it's non-objective news. That's true. But when you just say it's fake news, like everything you see on, see on CNN is false, that's not true. And this is coming from a guy who went on CNN in 2014 and said if Hamas could design a propaganda network, it would look a lot like CNN. This is in the middle of the Gaza war. So it's not like I have any great love and, and honor for CNN. I mean, for God's sake, I, I basically destroyed one of their main hosts on their on their show, right? I mean, I, I took Piers Morgan and destroyed him on CNN. I've ripped CNN on CNN multiple times. So this is not about defending CNN. This is about, as the American public, how do we know what information we can trust and what information we can't? We sort of have the Vizzini problem. You remember from Princess Bride, where Vizzini gets into a, a battle of wits with Wesley? And Vizzini has the, the, Wesley takes Iocane powder and supposedly he puts it in one of the two cups. And then Vizzini, who's the cleverest man alive, according to Vizzini, uh, has to try and outwit him. And so he does, he does the whole, I'm not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was not a great fool. So you would, and you would have counted on it, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. Right? You remember that whole routine? What happens when President Trump routinely says things that are not true or Sean Hannity says things about Seth Rich that are unverified? I mean, last night, Sean Hannity was still on Twitter going on, saying he, he's still investigating the Seth, Seth Rich thing, which is, you know, come on. I mean, really, like, enough already. Like, you have no new evidence. You, you talk about Trump collusion, Trump-Russia collusion has no evidence. You have no evidence on the, on the Seth Rich stuff, but you're still pursuing it and then claiming conspiracy theories on the other side. This is just about a little bit of intellectual honesty, folks. If you can't trust Trump, and you can't trust Fox, 
and you can't trust CNN, then who can you trust? And I'm not suggesting that you can trust me, by the way, to be unbiased, because I'm pretty open about my biases. I'm conservative, right? I'm conservative. That means that my coverage of the news is going to be infused with a certain level of conservative bias, for sure. But it is a mistake to label every single mainstream media outlet fake news as President Trump does because it actually blows back on Trump. The next time CNN reports something that is true and Trump calls it fake news, Trump looks like a liar. He's right. He is right that all of these outlets are biased against him. He is right that they attack him in a way they never would have attacked President Obama. And I am glad that President Trump goes up against the media all the time. In my book, Bullies, I said this is exactly what politicians should do. But the point in Bullies was that you should, you should go after these outlets when they lie. You shouldn't just label the entire outlet completely uncredible and, and suggest that everything that they report is false because that's not actually true. Like, if you're going to defeat lies, you have to do it with truth. You can't, and if you're going to defeat bias, you have to do it by calling out the bias. You can't defeat bias by just saying that everything that somebody says that is biased is complete fake news and all lies and garbage. Right? Right now what we have is Trump attacks combined with the media's drooling preoccupation with getting Trump. It ends up polarizing the narrative. Right now, I'm telling you because this is the world I live in, right now, people on the right will not believe a word that comes from CNN or the New York Times or the Washington Post, even though all of their favorite websites, you know, Breitbart, I used to work there, right? I was the ed- I was editor at large there for four years. I was deeply involved in editorial for two of those four years. Breitbart, which is a very pro-Trump website, obviously, they rip half their news from the mainstream media at least, okay? The notion that Breitbart is doing original reporting is not true. I mean, they, they do some original reporting, but the bulk of what they cover is a Breitbart angle on a news story that has been previously reported by CNN or the New York Times. The same thing is true in talk radio. And everybody in talk radio will acknowledge this, right? I mean, the fact is that when you listen to Rush, when you listen to Sean, half of Sean's coverage on his radio show is him reading an AP story and then deconstructing the AP story trying to get to the fact. So pretending that all of the news is fake is just not true. And what you end up with is this bizarre situation where people on the right will only trust Fox News and people on the left will only trust CNN. And if they hear that something happened on Fox News, they go, oh, it's complete crap. Benghazi is a perfect example. Fox News was leading the, the charge in terms of uncovering material about Benghazi. And the left just said, oh, it's Fox News. Who cares? And then the right does the same thing with CNN. Every time there's a story bad for Trump, they say, oh, it's just CNN. Who cares? I want to talk about what we should do to defeat all of this, how you can watch the news and get more out of it. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. So if you are somebody who wants to buy a gun or has a gun and lacks training, or you're afraid that you may become involved in a situation where, God forbid, somebody breaks in your house, you have to shoot them in self-defense, and then the police arrest you. That's what USCCA is for. They educate you, they train you, they make sure that you are legally and financially protected for after you pull the trigger. Because it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong, it's very possible you end up in the legal system anyway. And one of the things they're doing right now that is super cool is they're making sure that if you don't have a way to defend yourself, or if you just want a better way to defend yourself, you have five opportunities right now to win $1,776 for guns and ammo of your choice in honor of July 4th, right, 1776. They are going to give you $1,776 for the guns and ammo of your choice if you go and you you have a chance to win that. If you go and register at DefendMyFamilyNow.com, DefendMyFamilyNow.com, you get five big chances to win $1,776 for any guns and ammo of your choice. Again, that's DefendMyFamilyNow.com for your free shot at that money. You have to hurry. It's not going to last long, obviously. July 4th is just around the corner. DefendMyFamilyNow.com. Right now, you get your big five chances to win $1,776 for the guns and ammo of your choice. You should register there anyway because, of the, again, they have all of these resources for gun training and, and protection uh, that against against legal liability and all the rest of it. It's just it's a great organization. They're doing the stuff that gun owners need, and they're making sure that more people are, they're making sure that more people know how to protect themselves and are capable of doing so legally when the time, if, God forbid, the time comes that you actually have to use the weapon against somebody. That's the USCCN. Go to defendmyfamilynow.com. Okay, so here's how I want to boil down all of this media debate. And again, CNN is what they are. They're a wildly biased anti-right network masquerading as an objective news source sometimes running stories without proper substantiation that they then have to back off of. But to pretend that every piece of CNN coverage is a lie is not true, just as for the left to pretend during the Obama years that everything coming out of Fox News was not true. Here are some basic truths. There are only three of them, so you can handle this. We're all capable of handling this, okay? All journalists are biased, all of them, even if they won't admit it. There are some who try harder to keep their own biases out of the news, you know, I think that there, there are people who are widely hated on the right and widely hated on the left. I think Brett Baer does a good job of trying to keep his biases out of the news. I think on the left, I mean, Jake Tapper is clearly the left. I think Tapper 
does a better job than most of trying to keep his biases out of the news, although Jake obviously has his own biases. But all journalists are biased, okay? And anyone who pretends not is lying to you. Second, either the facts of a story are factual or they are not. Okay, there's two parts to every story. There's the fact and there's the opinion. And you have to become kind of sophisticated in how you look at the news. This is why you listen to or watch shows like this, so that we can break down a story and explain to you what is opinion from what is fact, what is actually being said in the news story, and what is the, the news media getting out ahead of themselves. Right? The facts of a story are either factual, however, or they are not. The bias of a journalist may impact how the facts are presented, but it doesn't automatically discredit the facts that are presented. So if... CNN covers the Trump-Russia stuff and then draws a conclusion that there's collusion and the conclusion is wrong, that doesn't discredit the underlying facts upon which they are reporting. Maybe their conclusion is wrong because they're biased. Maybe the way they're reporting the story is wrong because they're biased. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the underlying facts are wrong. The same is true on the right. right? The left would suggest that the right's coverage of the IRS scandal was all lies. It was all fake news. But that did not discredit any of the underlying factual claims that Lois Lerner and the IRS were obviously targeting conservative 501c3s in an attempt to prevent them from being able to raise money, and that they were doing so because Democrats have been calling for years for them to do exactly that, right? That was the underlying news. Now, the left may not have liked the conclusion the right was drawing, which is that Obama basically ordered it, but that didn't discredit the underlying news. So it is your job as a news consumer to try and distinguish the fact from the opinion in any given story without just doing this routine where you say, okay, CNN is all fake news or Fox News is all fake news and everybody should be fired because I disagree with them. Again, do I think CNN is egregious? Yes, I think they're egregious in their coverage of Trump. I think they are just egregious in their coverage of Trump. And I think that producer demonstrates how egregious they are in their coverage of Trump. But that does not actually change the underlying facts. And to pretend that CNN doesn't feel the heat when they do something wrong is just silly. I mean, they just fired three reporters. We make a living over at Daily Wire bashing CNN when they get things wrong. Right? I mean, this is to pretend that they are not subject to scrutiny uh, is just dishonest. So again, this is not a defense of CNN's activity anywhere along the line here. But I'm suggesting to you that you are gonna be blindsided by the news if you do what so many on the right are doing and say, I only trust the people on the right to report me the news, even though the people on the right are relying on the left to actually report those facts. Okay, CNN has staff on the ground. Daily Wire is not independently reporting from Yemen. And the truth is, neither is Fox News in many cases. Okay, so just want to clarify all of that because I think it'll make you a better news consumer and better able to distinguish between good news coverage and bad news coverage instead of doing this ridiculous partisan knee-jerk crap where people at CNN go, People on the left go, oh, Fox News can't be trusted. Everything they say is a lie. And people, faux news, right? They did this for eight years. I was there. And people on the right going, oh, it's from the New York Times. How dare you quote the New York Times? I promise you, Gateway Pundit is quoting that same New York Times story, whether it's an attempt to debunk the New York Times story or an attempt to grant credibility to the New York Times story, because most reporting is done by the mainstream media outlets that dedicate hundreds of millions of dollars every year to sending reporters to the field. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the breakdown in Trump care and where that goes from here. But for that, you're going to have to subscribe. So for $8 a month, you too can subscribe to dailywire.com. You get the rest of the show live. You also can listen to, uh, you can also become part of the mailbag. We do that on Fridays. Get all of your deepest, most uh, most fascinating questions answered on the mailbag. You also get to be part of Clavin's show uh, and you get to check into Clavin's mailbag as well. We have some new shows coming, which will be quite exciting as well. If you want an annual subscription, $8 a month uh, annual subscription, then you can do that. You get a free signed copy of this book, Say It So, book by me and my dad, all about baseball and fathers and sons. Really fun, enjoyable book. Terrific bathroom book. Uh, Say It So, Papa, Dad, Me in the 2005 White Sox Championship season. I will sign it for you as well. So you can go over to dailywire.com, check it out right now. By the way, if you're trying to subscribe either just uh, monthly or if you want to get the annual subscription, do it now, lock in your rate, because by July 10th, we are switching the rates. Everybody who is already subscribed, it's not changing for you. But if you are trying to lock in a lower rate now, now is the time to do it. So go and buy the subscription now. If you're thinking about it, if you think you're going to do it in a month, do it now. Get that lower rate, $8 a month, dailywire.com. Go and check it out. If you want to listen to us later, check us out. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Uh, make sure that you subscribe and leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so the other big story in the news, aside from the implosion of CNN, which, again, uh, is, is justified in large measure. I just don't want us to uh, get ahead of ourselves and, and make a case that we can't justify. 
on the other big piece of news, the Congressional Budget Office has now released its score for the Senate health care bill that would basically restructure Medicaid and reform Obamacare while leaving most of its major regulations intact. Right? That's what, the, that's what this bill does. Right now, there are five Republican senators who say they want to see changes to the bill before they allow a vote on it. Uh, if they were to vote, presumably the, the bill would die. Uh, it would not get the 51 votes that are necessary in order to pass it. It will pass, by the way. It feels like this is a lot like the, the House bill, where they presented a crappy House bill, and then it didn't pass, and then they presented a slightly less crappy House bill, and then it passed. I think the same thing will happen in the Senate. They'll present this version. They've got several hundred billion dollars worth of, worth of quote-unquote cuts that they are going to be able to play around with. They'll pay off a few senators here, a few senators there. They'll do a cornhusker kickback or two, uh, and then they will pass this thing. But here is the mistake for Republicans. The mistake for Republicans is once you own Obamacare, you own it. Now, there is a, a widely used phrase that Colin Powell was supposed to have originated with regard to uh, with regard to the Iraq War, where he said, "You break it, you bought it." Right? Once you go in and you ruin it, uh, then you bought it, and now you own it. Uh, that is not true in legislation. Obama broke it. Obama owns it. You only buy it if you try to fix it, right? You only buy it if you try to go in and change it and reform it. Then you own it. Then you own it. And right now what we're looking at is exactly that. We are now looking at Republicans owning this thing, and they've made a big mistake. So there are three metrics for success in any health care bill. There are three metrics for success. One, higher number of people covered. This is the left's favorite metric. Are more people covered? Are more people on Medicaid? Are more people forced into buying insurance? More people covered means better health care plan. Now, never mind that's not true. Never mind that Medicaid doesn't actually increase your life expectancy. Never mind the fact that crappy insurance is sometimes worse than no insurance at all. The, the left loves this metric. It's their favorite metric because when you use a mandate, you are guaranteed that that metric is going to go up. When you force people at point of gun to buy insurance, shockingly, more people end up with insurance. So obviously, a higher number of people covered was going to happen no matter what under Obamacare. This is the metric the left likes. Okay, That's metric number one, higher number of people covered. Second metric, lower average premiums. So Obama kept promising that he was going to decrease premiums. Premiums were going to go down over time. They have not gone down over time because, as it turns out, you cannot mandate that insurance companies cover people with pre-existing conditions without costs going up. If somebody waits to get cancer before they buy insurance, then the cost for the insurance companies are going to go up because if they pay $15,000 a year in insurance and the insurance spends $100,000 a year, they're going to pass that cost on to other consumers of the insurance. So that is the second measure, lower average premiums. And this would be one that should help the free market, right? Because the free market creates lower average premiums if it were truly free. The reason that it is not creating lower average premiums on a year-to-year -year basis before Obamacare is because the free market is not actually free. You have heavy state regulation of insurance markets. You have failure to allow insurance carriers to sell across state lines. You have uh, a failure of tort reform. You have heavy regulations on the insurance industry as far as what they must cover. So a lot of states already have pre-existing conditions, regulations on, on insurance companies that, that cover inside the state, or at least some of them did. Uh, and then finally, the third metric is lower government expenditure. So the free market is great for two of those three. The free market is great for two of those three, right? Lower government expenditure means less government involvement. Lower average premiums means more free market, right? More free market competition. But because Republicans bought into the original metric that more people covered is the only goal of Obamacare, now they are stuck because the system they have come up with is basically Obamacare light. They won't abandon a higher number of people covered in order to assure lower average premiums and lower government expenditure, and so they have presented a plan that is mediocre on all three counts. So here is what the Congressional Budget Office report says. Now, first, it is important to note the Congressional Budget Office report on Obamacare was wildly wrong. In 2016, they predicted that the premiums were going to drop. They predicted a higher number of people were going to be on insurance than are currently on insurance, and they've been using that bad baseline ever since. So when you see stuff like 22 million fewer people will be insured by 2026 than would be under Obamacare, they're using a bad measure for Obamacare. Their, their, their measure for Obamacare was originally wrong. It continues to be wrong. People are not joining Obamacare right now because the mandate is not strict enough, so it's not forcing enough people onto Obamacare. Young people are paying the fine instead of actually just joining Obamacare. Plus, there are no Obamacare providers in a bunch of states, so it doesn't matter. You can't actually join Obamacare, which is leading to a general death spiral, what they call the death spiral, not enough people paying into the system, too many people grabbing out of the system. That's, that's essentially what is happening. So the CBO reports have always been flawed, but here is the CBO, what they had to say. So what the CBO said was basically four main things about the Republican bill. First, they say that it will reduce the deficit. So according to the CBO, the Senate bill would reduce the federal deficit from 2017 to 2026 
by $321 billion, $202 billion more than the savings from the House version of the bill. So overall, that means the bill would reduce spending by over a trillion dollars over the next 10 years, and thanks to tax cuts, reduce government funding intake by $701 billion. So they're getting rid of a bunch of the taxes that paid for Obamacare. And so what you have is reduction of spending, but also reduction of government intake in terms of revenue. So the net is that the Senate bill would save the federal government $321 billion. Now, the problem is a lot of these cuts are never going to materialize to Medicaid because Obamacare will be in a death spiral and more and more people are going to be joining Medicaid and there will be calls for the federal government to continue sponsoring all of that. Okay, second thing. The CBO says that it will increase the uninsured. So, as I say, the CBO has always had this bizarrely rosy view of Obamacare. They're always saying that the same number of people who are uninsured now will be uninsured by 2026 under Obamacare. But that's not remotely true. And then they use that baseline of Obamacare and they say Obamacare is going to keep this many people uninsured and Trump Care is going to make this many people uninsured. That's neglecting a couple of things. One, the vast majority of people who are going to lose their insurance are not going to lose it. They're going to drop out of it because they don't feel like paying for their crappy Obamacare insurance. Without the mandate, they're going to drop out. So if you voluntarily drop your insurance, that is not the same thing as you quote unquote losing your insurance. Now, here's the bad news for the Republican bill. Lower Medicaid spending would supposedly force people off Medicaid entirely, leading to enrollment drops of 16% among people aged 65 by 2026. To me, that's not a terrible thing. Go look for a private option, but you have to deregulate so that that private option is affordable. Under the Republican bill, it is not because they kept all of the central Republican, they kept all the central Obamacare provisions, which makes it very costly to buy insurance. So rising deductibles for poor Americans are, are going to happen. A lot of older, poorer people, basically, are going to end up paying under the Republican system. Uh, they say that the markets would stabilize, which I don't see at all. Uh, the, the CBO said that Obamacare itself is stable in most areas. I don't know where they're getting that. Uh, the death spiral is already kicking in in a huge number of states. There's already down to one insurer in many states with regard to Obamacare. Uh, but the CBO says the system would be stable under the Republican Senate plan, too. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Okay, it's death spiral both ways. The CBO is just wrong. And then finally, the fourth thing is they say the premiums would increase in the next two years, and then they would drop. Now, the reason they would increase for the next two years is because for the next two years, we're still using the Obamacare benchmark plan of 70% covered benefits on average for subsidies. So right now, we are subsidizing plans that cover 70% of benefits, right? If you, if you have a cost of $10, then the insurance plan that we are subsidizing will cover seven of those dollars. In 2020, the Republican bill would basically make that $6 out of every $10. So what that means is that the, the cost drops, but the deductible rises. Right? Your premiums drop, so you pay less up front, but your deductibles rise dramatically. So that means you now have to, if you get hurt, you have to pay more before the insurance kicks in. So for some of these lower class plans for poorer people, it's cheaper, but the deductible is also higher. So it's a little bit cheaper. Instead of you paying $1,700 a year for health insurance, you're paying $1,500 a year for health insurance. But instead of the deductible being $3,600, now it's $6,000. So that's half your annual salary going toward the deductible. So here's the bottom line. Trump care reduces future spending on Medicaid, supposedly, but that's in the future, reduces regulations on essential health benefits caps and age to spending ratios at the state level, but only in 2020 and probably not enough to actually heavily impact the competition in the marketplaces and gets rid of the Obamacare mandate, which would be good, except that you're still subsidizing these big government programs. Now, some of this would be good. I'd back all of these things probably in piecemeal, but calling it an Obamacare repeal is a major mistake because now Republicans will own whatever comes next. Now, if Republicans had been willing to argue for free markets, they could have done all of this and more. They could have repealed Obamacare wholesale, right? If they'd repealed Obamacare wholesale, more competition, more competition, get rid of the, as, as Trump says, the lines around the states, they get rid of all those, let competition occur, do some tort reform, force Democrats on the record to oppose all of these measures to lower premiums. That would be a great move by Republicans. They didn't have the guts to do it. So it's, it's really, um, you know, I, I, there, there's a reason this bill is unpopular. It will pass anyway. In the short term, Trump will get his victory. That's all that Trump cares about. But the truth is, Trump would have gotten his victory if they would just repealed the thing. Right? If the whole deal here is that Trump was basically going to back whatever Republicans put in front of him, why didn't they go for broke? And now the Democrats are going to claim that Trump's a liar because here's some of the stuff Trump said during the campaign. Right? Here's what Trump said about Medicaid during the campaign, for example. Save Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security without cuts. Have to do it. Get rid of the fraud, get rid of the waste and abuse, but save it. People have been paying in for years, and now many of these candidates want to cut it. You save it by making the United States, by making us rich again, by taking back all... 
Okay, except that half the bill is Medicaid cuts, as well it should be. The federal government's job should not be to sponsor Medicaid. This is why you have states and localities if you want these sorts of programs. One of the problems here, and nobody will talk about it because it's anti-Trump, is that Trump's leadership on this bill has been largely absent. Basically, he comes in at the end, and then he can't cogently explain what exactly is going on, so he's all over the place on the thing. And then if he hears something bad about it, he undercuts everybody, right? So he'll have... The, he'll under, he'll, the, the first House bill will go forward. He'll say it's too mean and House conservatives are nasty. Then the House conservatives will improve the bill a little bit. He'll have them to the White House and celebrate him. Then he'll call the bill mean and undercut them. And then brag about calling a bill mean on national television. Then the Senate bill will come out. And then he'll say it's still too mean. So Lindsey Graham, who is terrible on a lot of things, but this, I think, reflects the general tone in the Senate, says that the problem here is that even if you back Trump's play, Trump doesn't really back your play, and that's a problem. Here's what I would tell any senator. If you count on the president to have your back, you need to watch it. <laughs> so here's what I told the, the House guys. You need to understand the Senate's a different animal. I don't think the House bill was mean. I'm not so sure it was as well constructed as it could have been. Our bill is a bit better. It saves more. Okay, so, you know, the fact is that if, if Trump actually knew enough about this stuff, it would be good. But... He, he won't even stick to one position because the minute that he's hit for you know, breaking a campaign promise he never should have made, he'll flip on it. Uh, what does all this mean? It'll probably pass, but it's not going to pass before uh, there are some payoffs that are made, making the current bill worse than it currently is in some ways. Uh, and even if it does pass, Republicans are then going to own it and, Republic- and Democrats will campaign on it. If you think Obamacare was a big win for Obama, check out what happened over the, pres- over the next eight years. Things did not go well for President Obama, right? I mean, since 2010, when they passed this thing and we said it was the end of the country, uh, the Republicans have won every seat available all across the country, plus the presidency, plus the Senate, plus the House. And so it's been, a, it's been a bad run for Democrats. Uh, Republicans could do something similar by grabbing hold of Obamacare and hugging it to their chest as they're doing. Okay, time for some things I like, things I hate, and we'll deconstruct the culture a little bit. So things I like. So I, I've been doing podcasts that I listen to. Uh, in honor of my suggestion that you listen to news on both sides of the aisle and then try to, it, it's good practice for separating out opinion from fact. Uh, one of the interesting podcasts out there is done by a bunch of former Obama staffers called Pod Save America. This is John Lovett's uh, podcast. He and I have had our differences on Twitter for sure, and we disagree on virtually everything. Um, but it's good to hear what the other side has to say uh, because that way you know if what they're saying is honest or dishonest. And sometimes what they're saying is honest, and sometimes what they're saying is skewed. Um, but it is good to hear their angle on this stuff especially because if you have people on the left who you are friends with or who are relatives, uh, it's good to know their talking points before you talk to them. Pod Save America is the name of the podcast. It's entertaining. Uh, it is, uh, I, I will say, a little bit pissy. <laughs> you know, the entire thing is, is very frustrated, uh, as you can imagine, um, but it is, uh, it is informative as well about the opinions of the left. Okay, other things that I like. Um, this tape just made me laugh. So there was an Antifa protester. Uh, I'm not sure where this was, um, but you can see he picks up a chair and goes after the cops. Uh, things do not go well for him. And boom. <laughs> so he gets pepper sprayed by the cops after he picks up a chair and he's about to throw it at the cop and the cop pepper sprays him and then he just sort of flies into a curb and bashes himself on the head. <laughs> he gets up, dude's fine, but I, I could watch that about 80 times in a row. It's pretty spectacular stuff. So well done, Antifa protester who gets pepper sprayed and goes flying into a curb. That's excellent. Okay, other things that I like. So John McEnroe is getting all sorts of flack. Uh, of course, one of the great all-time men's tennis players, singles players, and doubles players, actually. John McEnroe, um, he was talking about Serena Williams. Serena Williams is the best female tennis player of all time. The only possible competitor would be Steffi Graf. Um, and uh, she's, I mean, she's amazing. She's amazing. She dominates the women's tour. It is also true that if Serena Williams played with the men, she would get absolutely whomped. In fact, uh, there was a time several years ago, people don't talk about this, where she wanted to do a practice with a guy. She just wanted to see how it would go. And so she picked some guy who was like 250th ranked, and they did this kind of quiet match, apparently. And the guy just killed her. I mean, he beat her like 6-1, six 6-1. to one, six to one. I mean, just, just destroyed her. Uh, and that's not uncommon. There's something called the universal tennis rating system where they actually take player skill and they use a set of, of skills and measurables like how much ground you cover and how fast you hit your serve uh, and then they rate you. Basically what they came up with were, for Serena Williams that Serena Williams rates at like a 13.36 which is phenomenal for a woman it is not phenomenal for a man. It's like a mid-ranked college player for a man. The best men are, are up there around the 17s. Here's what John McEnroe had to say and now he's getting all sorts of crap for it. About Serena Williams you say she is the best female player in the world in the book. Best female player ever, no question. Uh, some wouldn't qualify it. Uh, some would say she's the best player in the world. Why qualify it? Oh, 
Oh, she's not, you mean the best player in the world, period? Yeah, best tennis player in the world. You know, why, why say female player? Well, because if she was a, if she played the men's circuit, she'd be like 700 in the world. You think so? Yeah. That doesn't mean I don't think Serena is like an incredible player. I do. But there's, you know, the reality of uh, what, what would happen on a given day, a Serena could beat some, some players, I believe, because she's so incredibly strong mentally. But if she had to just, just play the circuit, the men's circuit, that would be an entirely different story. Um, so maybe at some point a, a women's tennis player, you know, w- can be better than a men- anybody. I mean, I just I haven't seen it in any other sport. And I haven't. Okay, so he's he's totally right, and we're stupid. Okay, and the entire country is stupid and full of crap. This this whole notion I, I said this about the show pitch. This whole notion that we're going to pretend that women are as athletically skilled as men is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Chrissy Evert was the, the number one uh, player in the 1980s, the number one female player in the 1980s. Tremendous player. She married a guy named John Lloyd. John Lloyd was ranked 250 on the circuit, and she said whenever she practiced with Lloyd, he, he destroyed her. Because men are physically stronger than women. It doesn't mean men are better than women. It doesn't mean that men are kinder or more decent or more intelligent than women. It means that men are stronger than women. Because, duh, of course men are stronger than women. And we are so stupid as a society that we have decided that it is important to pretend that Serena Williams could outplay the men. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Serena Williams would not be, if, if she were a dude, she would not be playing in, in the college finals. Okay? She would make the college semifinals. And this is not me speaking the, the statistics. And I'm sorry if that offends people, if statistics offend people. But come the hell on, okay? I, mean, I remember when, when they did these commercials. What does it mean to throw like a girl? Well, it means you throw slower than a guy. That's what it means to throw like a girl, okay? I'm sorry to break it to you. The average woman does not throw as well as a man does by studies, by statistical studies. book called The Sports Gene, great book. The average woman throws, faster, uh, throws slower than out of 1,000 men you pick off the street, 997 of them. Okay, that's what it means when you say throw like a girl. Let's stop pretending that we don't know what these things mean because sex differences don't exist. Of course they exist, and everyone is stupid. Okay, before I get to things I hate, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Upside.com. So, if you're a business traveler and you're looking to travel inexpensively and get an Amazon gift card, that's what Upside.com does for you. So, they bundle your flight and your hotel, uh, and that saves your company all sorts of money. In less than two minutes, they'll give you awesome choices on United and American for flights to any city that works for you. A bunch of big name hotels will give you options, flying into different airports, staying in a different hotel, going at a different time of day. They'll give you all the options and then they bundle it together for the cheapest available price and you get an Amazon gift card to boot. So right now, that means your company saves and you get the Amazon gift card. It got You, you can get a gift card right now if you go to Upside.com today. When you use promo code BEN, you are guaranteed to get at least a $100 Amazon gift card for your first trip. That is promo code BEN. When you go to Upside.com, you get a $100 Amazon gift card for free. You save big on travel and then you get a big gift card every single trip. See what your trip is worth today. Upside.com. That is Upside.com. A minimum purchase is required and you can see the site for complete details, but I promise you, the travel options are just spectacular and it's particularly great if you do a lot of business travel the way I do. You travel by yourself. Uh, that's how they are able to do this and bring it direct to consumer. And you get that Amazon gift card for you personally, not for your company, for you personally. So that's pretty awesome. Okay, we'll do a quick things I hate and then we will deconstruct some culture. So quick thing that I hate. So they had a rally, a pro-Trump rally, I guess this is in Washington, D.C. the other day. Uh, and uh, I want to tell you about the signs that they are holding. Okay, so it says no political violence. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then it says no hate speech, no political violence with a guy wearing a MAGA hat. And then there is, uh, I guess these are the people, the, some of the people who stormed the stage. Uh, and then there's a, there's a gal carrying a sign that says no hate speech, no Johnny Depp, no Julius Caesar, no Madonna, no Phil Montag, no Hollywood. Okay. I hate the stupid crap when the left does it. When people who are pro-Trump do it, it makes you part of the left, okay? When your principle is that speech that offends you is hate speech and must be shut down, you are now a member of the political left. This is not some ironic attempt to get the left to stop with their hate speech crap. This is you joining in, okay? This is the same thing as when the alt-right says that tribal polarization, that, that ethnic ethnocentrism, you know, that, that Black Lives Matter is totally fine because we want a white ethnostate. Black ethnostate, cool. White ethnostate, also cool. Right? When they do this routine, uh, it's bad because 
the notion that you should have a uh, that you should have racial separatism is stupid. Now, people always say when I say this, "What about Israel? It's an ethno state." Uh, Israel is a religious state. Okay, Israel is a state based upon Judaism, and one of the aspects of Judaism is that it is connected with ethnicity. But as I have said many times, I don't care about ethnic Judaism. I think ethnic Judaism is just a precondition for becoming Jewish. And again, it's not really ethnic, considering that you can convert to Judaism at any time. It's an ideology far more than it is an ethnicity. Okay, so it's not quite the same thing. You can't become black just by converting to blackness. You can't become white just by converting to whiteness. And that's silliness. So not the same thing at all. But just to put that one to bed, but the notion that you're going to adopt leftist rhetoric because now it applies to you, that means the left wins because their central principles have now been enshrined. Okay, let's deconstruct a bit of culture. So let's do this thing. So Miley Cyrus is now getting all sorts of flack from the left because she has a new video out in which she is clearly walking back her wild child image. So as you recall, Miley Cyrus has made a fortune being a shock artist. And the problem with being a shock artist is that at a certain point, you cease to shock. There's only so much that you can do. And once you hit that point, you lose a lot of appeal. So you remember she did Wrecking Ball, and this was a big story because she was on a Wrecking Ball naked, and it was ridiculous. You know, here is something from Wrecking Ball. I put you high up in the sky, and now you're not coming down. It's slowly Similar, she's walking around in her underwear for people who can't see and licking hammers and like and being naked on a wrecking ball. It was all weird, right? And wearing her uh, her proto her Richard Spencer proto fascist haircut and all of this, right? And this is her shock jockiness. Okay, and then you remember that she performed also uh, at uh, the MTV Video Music Awards, and she was twerking on uh, Robin Thicke, I believe. Uh, and then she also, and then she kept getting more extreme because when you start off as a Disney star, this is unfortunately the way our culture works, and it's disgusting. Uh, I wrote about it in my book Porn Generation. We take these innocent Disney stars, and then because we are trying to appeal to a teen audience instead of a tween audience, we start to mature them. And mature means that you have to do drugs and have sex and get naked. That's that's really what it means. So we take people ranging from Britney Spears to Christina. Aguilera to Miley Cyrus and we make them more and more extreme because it shows you're an adult to act like a three-year-old child flinging your own poo against the wall. She did another song called Do It in which it was really weird. She basically like licked paint off her face and this is her getting weird and weird and more extreme and this is what she does in order to get attention. Once you're on the attention machine, you can't get off the attention machine. So here is Miley Cyrus doing this routine. Ready? Yep. I need some more marijuana. Okay, so she did this like bad acid trip video and dripping paint all over her face, talking about pot smoking, but she's not a hippie. You know, it's just all like she just kept getting weirder and weirder and weirder, right? And at a certain point, she wore out her welcome. I can't even watch this, right? At a certain point, she wore out her welcome because it's so gross and so weird. So what has she done with her life now? Well, now it turns out that she is engaged, right? So Billy Ray Cyrus shared an Instagram photo of Miley in a white dress with the caption, I'm so happy you are happy because apparently she and her fiance, Liam Hemsworth, uh, were now engaged and she posted a picture of herself uh, with a ring. According to her mom, that's not happening anytime soon, but they're happy and she's with a guy and obviously she's not going to get engaged or anything because that would be so cliche to get engaged. But this is what all these Hollywood stars do. So all of these ridiculous Hollywood stars, they preach this social leftism, this, this crazy leftism. I'm a bisexual. I'm a leftist. I'm a pansexual, as Miley Cyrus says. And then what do they do? They settle down with a dude, and then they eventually get married and have kids. I mean, this is what they do. This is what Charles Murray talks about uh, in his book, Coming Apart. It talks about how Hollywood and the, the kind of upper crust left, they preach these leftist values that are, in, that are, that are then uh, sort of embraced by lower income white people but then they don't live that lifestyle out. And Miley Cyrus is this. So now Miley Cyrus, Miley Cyrus has come out with a new video. And this is a video that looks like Shania Twain, right? I mean, this is, here's a video called Malibu. This is her new video. And it's just like her hair is normal. She's covered up a lot of her tattoos. It's not this like disgusting pot smoking, dripping crap on the face, swinging naked on a wrecking ball stuff. It's basically like one of Katy Perry's old videos before Katy Perry decided she needed to fringe out and go left to pay, cater her to leftist base. So here's Miley Cyrus doing that. So you can't see, this is just a bunch of balloons. It says Miley Cyrus Malibu. And here she is wearing a white dress and her hair looks normal. Like she's 
you know, and here she is in a bikini on the beach in pants, okay, and, and her hair looks basically normal. It's like kind of blonde. This is. She's wearing a sweater that covers her actual body. Okay, and there she is in her bikini again. Again, this is this is all like normal stuff. Okay, we got rid of the weird. It's her singing on a beach, with her hair not looking all freakish, and it's long. Okay, there's nothing, like, particularly wrong with this song. Like, obviously it has all the body shots that you would expect from a music video in order to get men to watch it, but, and, and that's just the way that the industry works, unfortunately, but this is a very different Miley Cyrus, right? Gone is the shock twerking on a finger. Gone is the paint on the face. So the left is kind of mad at her because they say, what happened to shocking Miley? Why can't we have shocking Miley again? Maybe because she's settling down and becoming an adult now, and she never should have done all that stupid crap in the first place to get attention. But we have a culture that drives people to do stupid things for attention and then gets angry when they repent. Now, I don't know that Miley Cyrus has gone full repentance, and I think that she should. I think that she should come out and say, all that stuff I did, I did for attention, and it was dumb, and I shouldn't have done it, and I let a lot of people to participate in stupid behavior, uh, or at least encourage stupid behavior among my followers because I was trying to get attention. Like that, I would actually respect, but the fact that the, the left never allows people to move away from the extremism and, in fact, drive people like Katy Perry from she was a... I mean, Katy Perry did the same thing. She was a choir singer, and then she did I Kissed a Girl, right? Because a, a little bit of a lipstick lesbianism will always make you famous in the United States. And uh, she does a little bit of lipstick lesbianism. She's not a lesbian, by the way. Uh, and then she... So it's always funny to me when the LGBT crowd celebrates fake lesbians pretending to be lesbians for pay. That's always weird. You know, I wouldn't celebrate a, a, a fake Jew pretending to be a real Jew for pay. Uh, it's just odd. Anyway, um, so they, you know, she, she does that, and then she kind of goes back to the bubbly California girl image, which looks a lot like what Cyrus is doing here. And then now she's extreming out, right? Now she's the, the Dray McKesson, I'm a social justice warrior again. This is what the left does to their own cultural heroes, and then they eat them if they dare to step away from the extremism. They eat them alive. So... Uh, listen, I hope we get more of this from Miley Cyrus just because it will be sig significantly less damaging, significantly less damaging um, for, uh, for the culture if she would do more songs like Malibu and fewer songs uh, like her Bad Acid Trip album that she did. Okay, so we'll be back here tomorrow. We'll be broadcasting actually from across the border in Toronto. We'll be visiting the Canadians. I will try to annex the country, but if all else fails, I will be back in the United States the day after. Anyway, uh, I will see you then. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlow, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlow's non-compromise, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlow's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE.